Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by America's Choice Windows, where you'll get 10 windows for just $36.80. Let's head out to Killeen, Texas. And is it Althea? Yes, it is. How can I help you? Hi. I just moved. Merry Christmas. I just moved out of a house in Killeen. It's my house. And in emptying out a closet, I saw what looked like mold developing in the corner. And I'm wondering, what caused it, and how do I fix it? When you saw it in the corner, what's around that uh, closet? Is, is there a, uh, a fireplace or anything like that around it? No, it is a, an exterior wall. Okay. One, one side faces west, and the other side faces north. It's part of a porch, like the entry. Gotcha. Okay. Well, the first thing I would tell you is more than... You're, you're going to have to see if there's water there. Uh, if it's in, a, a, on a porch that way, is the roof overhang the porch? Yes. Okay. I'm wondering if water just didn't get up on the porch with some of these monsoon rains we've had. Uh-huh. And then concrete is porous. It'll act like a wick, and it could have wicked it up in there, allowing it to do that, especially if the water was ponding on the porch a little bit. So that would be my first inclination as far as what's going on. As far as stopping it, I mean, obviously, we got to stop the moisture from getting to it. Mother Nature quits <laughs> raining. Hey, the moisture is stopped. Um, yeah. How to deal with it, how big an area are we talking about? It's about six inches on either side of the crease and about a foot up from the floor, from the floor up. Okay, that's a little bit more than just moisture coming in from the the porch then. Uh, I'm, what's in the roof line above the wall where the porch cover ties in? What do you mean? In other words, it, 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 does it go up for it's a second floor better. or anything? No, it's just the roof. Hmm. For the water, for the fort to go up as high as it is, moisture is getting in there from something. Whether it's a plumbing leak of some kind, a leak in the roof, something, something is allowing moisture in there. And I'm going to tell you something I just don't normally say. But I think in the situation you have, I would almost open up a little piece of that sheetrock to see what's behind there. Uh, because well, I what I'm gonna, no... Okay, go ahead. What I'm going to be looking for is to see if the wood's been wet and if it's still wet. Hmm. It sounds like I need a contractor. And then it's going to be a matter of we got to find what the moisture source is, stop it, and then back and patched. Hmm. Not what you want to hear when you're moving out of a place. No. Um, no. Um, have you have you closed on selling the house yet? Oh no 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 I okay. haven't placed the market yet. Okay. Uh, then that's a, that is where I would start. I I'm thinking. Okay, is there a bathroom anywhere near there? No. 
So there shouldn't be any plumbing lines. There shouldn't be any vents going up. So if the roof is in good shape, we can probably stop and eliminate the roof. We can probably eliminate water lines going across there. So yeah. we're back to water somehow coming in from outside. Is it brick exterior or wood? Wood. Althea, you're just not helping me here. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, how much cover is there? I mean, how wide a porch is that? Oh, my. Um, the porch, porch, I call it a porch, it's an entry. The cement that is ah. the porch goes out to the very edge of the house on okay. the north side. And to the west, it's about four feet three and a half, four feet deep to okay. the house. So it's kind of okay. like the house was built around the porch. Yeah. Uh, next to the porch. It was built in 63. Okay. When you had the box in the corner there, was it shoved tight into the corner? Pretty much. It very well could be just moisture coming up through the concrete. It gets uh. in... in is, is was the bottom of the box moist? Wait, it, wait, it's a pure beam house. Oh, that does change one, things. One more detail. Yeah, details help. But see, this yeah. this is why I prefer taking these as calls because we can work down into it. If this huh. is a pure beam house, yes, I, I'll t I'll tell you. Uh, the first thing I would check is underneath, if there's a water pipe running along underneath that area there, mm -hmm. what I have seen more often than I care to admit to is just a pinhole in mm -hmm. a in an old galvanized pipe underneath these old pier and beam houses, and uh, you can't even see it spraying, but oh it's God. putting out just this little mist, and it keeps that area saturated. Um, it's, it's much like uh, when you go into a... Uh, an area where they've got the the misters to keep you cool, like on a patio uh, dining area or Bye. at an amusement park. Well, uh -huh. that little mist out of that pipe underneath there will saturate that wood and allow it to do exactly what you're talking about. And typically, the only way to find it is you got to go underneath the, the house and literally put your hand around that pipe and follow it. And then all of a sudden, you got a wet spot. Well, I did and have the... The line break about six feet farther in, about, I guess, six, eight months ago. I got that repaired. But if that's a possibility, I, I was planning to have it replumbed anyway. If okay. that was six, yeah, if that was six to eight months ago, that leak being that close, actually, you know, d depending on how which direction the water was spraying, could have been what the source of moisture was. Mm. So okay. when you, right now, when you took the box out, was the bottom still wet? Of the no. box, no. See, it could it could be that it's dried out at this point. Even once okay. it's dried out, you're still going to have that the black spots from the mold and such. Yeah. And if that's the case, yeah. you don't need to do anything other than clean it up. You know, scrub it up good. Put a a, a stain sealer on there, paint it, and you'll be done. Okay. But I would check that pipe just to make sure. All right. Well, thank you so much. Althea, you have a Merry Christmas. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.
Robert, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Hello. Uh, I have a, uh, a a carrier air conditioner. It's a heat pump type. Yes. And uh, when that thing comes on, it makes a god-awful noise, like some bearings about ready to come, to come unloose. But uh, it is heating. It is cooling in the summer and heating in the winter. But it really, really makes a grinding sound when it comes on. I was wondering if something's about ready to give on that or if that's normal. Well, is it inside or outside that you're hearing that noise? It's, out, it's an outside unit, yeah, where the compressor okay. is. Yep, and more than likely, it can be one of two things. Now, are you hearing it both in the summer and winter? Or Mainly in the winter. winter. In the winter, it really screams, yeah. Okay. What happens is, if when you have a heat pump system, the air, the uh, the uh, compressor out there actually yeah. runs in reverse. And when it's cold out and all the metal you know, change your size a little bit, that thing will clatter like heck. And, yes, it is an indication that it's just plain wearing. Is this system several years old? Uh, it's uh, 2012. Okay. Six years. So, yeah, as they age, they can tend to do that. It is an, in, 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 it is an indication that, yes, your compressor may be going out before long. i tell you what I would do is I would have it serviced, have the technician check it because a lot of times those compressors have like a 10-year warranty on it. Yeah. And if it does and the bearings are, or, or the uh, clattering is getting bad enough, you can possibly get it covered under warranty. Okay. It's a, it's a carrier, and I don't know if, if warranties carry over from one house to another. We've only been here like three years. Well, yeah, three years, and I'll certainly look into that. Well, I, I got to be honest. I had to replace mine a, a couple years ago for that same reason. Uh, try to get them out there on a cold day, on a cool day, so, because okay. it'll be louder on a cold day than it is on a warm day. Okay. 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 I just need, I just need to get this done so we're not stuck in, you know, on, a, on a real cold night where that thing doesn't want to work anymore. Well, but. here's the deal, though. Even if that compressor goes out, you're going to have backup strip heat. And that would be able to kick in and still keep you very comfortable in the home. I want to finish up on this heat pump and heat strips thing real quick. Heat strips are what the normal heaters use. And it's it's just, or if you're an all-electric home, you're going to have heat strips in your air conditioning system up in the, the blowers up there in order to put heat in the house. The heat pump is basically the outside compressor running in reverse. In other words, it's taking warm air out of the air outside and putting it in the home. Well, the compressor can shut down and quit working completely. Your heat strips in the house will still work and still keep you warm. The difference is going to be your electric bill is probably going to go up about three times because the, the heat strips are very inefficient. That's the reason we go with a heat pump, because it uses about a third of the power of the heat strips. But one thing I, I just want to make clear, that you won't lose your heat just because that compressor goes out. The other thing to remember, heat pumps are only effective down to a certain degree. It used to be, once you got down around 35 or below, you had to turn the heat strips on anyways. New technology, they're getting them down a lot further than that. But nonetheless, the heat strips are still your backup when it gets too cold outside where the, 
the heat pump can't pull that air out. Pull the warmth out of the air. Because as my science teacher told me, there's no such thing as cold. It's the lack of heat. And after he and I went back and forth a few times and I had a few choice words that in high school I shouldn't have been using, I was promptly sent to the dean's office where it was explained to me with a board on the bottom. And I fully understand there's no such thing as heat unless there's a board meeting your bottom. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Andy, I'll let you go from there. Okay, sir. Well, so my grandson, Rusty, and I were working on the, the sink in our kitchen. Um, we found water underneath the, uh, underneath the, the sink in, in the cupboard, I guess you call it. And the, it, when we turned the water on, there was water coming out of the side of the, of the spout. And so we took it apart, but I was, uh, and I, I did everything I could uh, along with my grandson to try to figure out how to fix it ourselves. And is that a seal? It's, it's coming out of just kind of like where you lift up the water, you know, where you lift up the, the whatever you call it. To, to, I'm sorry, I'm not a, I'm not a plumber, but where, where you lift <laughs> up okay. the little hand, where you lift up the handle, and uh, it, the, the water comes out of the side of it. And it's okay. Not, it's not a, a bunch of water. But, okay, so you, um, got a, you got a single handle faucet that, that uh, is a lever that sticks out that you tip it up, right? Yes, sir. Okay, and that's and that's where the water's coming out of. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, there is a uh, there's actually a couple of seals down in there. Uh, usually, when the water's coming out of it that 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 way, that little piston that that you pick up and down, uh, there's an O-ring around it or a seat, not a seat, a, a seal rather around it. Okay. And when and when that wears water can bypass and come out of it and it sounds like that's what's happening so you got a, a couple of choice what what kind of faucet is is it do you know i i think the name of it's more is uh, mo- mowing mowing yes yes sir that's it uh, okay uh is it one that you put in no sir it was put in by someone else that owned the okay. home before me okay the reason i'm asking is mowing has several different lines and they carry a line at the box stores that is really inexpensive, plastic parts, and not fixable. So if it's one of those, you would just plain have to put a new faucet in. If it's one from a plumbing company, uh, it would have brass parts inside. Then it is repairable. You basically have to take the handle off. There's a uh, shield on the top, that little dome-looking thing that would yes, screw off. Now you're down into where the mechanisms are. Obviously, have the water shut off. You can remove the mechanisms and rebuild all the seals on it, put it back together, and and you'd be good to go. Uh, but it, it's it's going to depend on which one it is. The way you can tell if it's going to be rebuildable, go underneath the sink where the where the uh, hoses tie on up underneath the sink to it. If it's a PVC stub sticking down. Just go get a new faucet. If it's if it's brass coming down, then you got a chance of rebuilding it. Okay, so I guess my question to you is: um, I'm not a very mechanical person, uh-huh. um, and so is, is this worth me spending three hundred dollars for a plumber to come out and do? 
usually it shouldn't be $300 unless they're including the faucet. Um, it'll probably be more in the range of a 150 to have a, a plumber come out and put it in. Uh, truthfully, though, the way a faucet, if you were going to re just re let's go over just replacing it, you would shut the water off, get a basin wrench, which will cost you about 12 bucks, and it's it's an arm that has a head on it that pivots. It goes around the nuts so you can loosen them up and drop the hoses off the bottom of the faucet. And okay. if you look way up in there, you'll see some bigger nuts. Again, use that basin wrench to loosen those up. That thread comes all the way down where the hose was hooked on. The faucet just pulls off. You drop the new one on and tighten everything back onto it again. Uh, it is relatively for... Uh, this this is a great project for a beginner plumber. Okay. So I I think you could easily do it yourself if you wanted to. I got a lot of plumbers out there saying, "No, that's our gravy jobs." But no, this this is something that you can definitely do yourself if you want to. Well, I'll get with Rusty and we'll work we'll work on that. How old is Rusty? <laughs> He's thirteen. Uh no, man, don't get with him. You just say, "Here's the basin wrench. Now here's what you need to do." Go go underneath there and follow this hose up and put this basin wrench around it and loosen it. And and just talk him through it. That way it makes it sound like you know exactly what you're doing, but he's got to do all the work. Okay. I'll make sure. He's, he's a hard worker. He's a growing boy. So, there you go. Uh, uh, and, and God bless you, by the way, and, and have a Merry Christmas for you and your family. Thank you, Andy. You as well. Okay, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. I love making kids do jobs like this. This is how they learn. And a lot of times they don't like it, but they learn a lot that they can use down the road. So if you've got kids at home or, or even grandkids and you've got, got these little projects to do, you don't necessarily need to be able to do the project yourself. Walk them through it and let them figure it out. I'm telling you, we will we will raise better kids that way than doing everything for them. That's just world according to Jim, anyways. Billy, how can I help yeah. you? Yes, sir. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. How about you? I'm wonderful out in this beautiful Katy, Texas. <laughs> sir, I have a I have a question about a slab repair. I heard the young man a while ago talking about he had a cracked slab, cracked like a cookie. Uh, I'm I've run upon something, and uh, uh, we at my at my personal home, and uh, we haven't done it yet. But we had out had tears put on the outside, uh -huh. and and we and we do have the house sinking in the center a little. So okay, what, since you got piers around the perimeter, and you're seeing that the middle is going down, how big are the trees around the house? That that was one of my next question is uh, maybe uh, have. We have some pretty good sized trees, and they're they're pretty close. They're twelve, fifteen feet from the house, and uh, thinking about a root barrier. Yep, that sounds like to me what you need, uh, because that will stop the soil from movement, stop the the moisture from coming out, uh, and at the very least, it should help keep it from getting worse. At the best, it'll help correct some of the issues. I see. And you know, the question I always get is, well, how much will it correct? And nobody knows exactly because Mother Nature kind of does what she wants. But it is not unusual to get an inch or so from putting in root barriers uh, as as far as correction. 
But again, the bigger thing is it's preventative maintenance to keep your problem from getting worse. Right. Uh, I, I went online and I read a, an article from Texas A&M about the installation of it. And uh, there's diff- there's varying stories about, you know, what how you install. The materials are all basically the same. Uh, some of them say you need to leave the root barrier inch and a half to two inches above the soil. Uh, some of them say you can you can cover you can put it down even, but they all say they need to be anywhere from twenty four to thirty six inches. Correct. And uh, I guess that's uh, just a probably a decision you make on the size of the tree or something. No, not really. Uh, most trees have their roots in the top eighteen inches. And so that's the reason they go the 24 to 36. All the root barriers I install, I go 36. Yeah. Because okay. you don't want, if you're too shallow, the roots will hit the root barrier and just go under it. Yeah. And by going 36, you're going deep enough, they're really not going to go under it. Right. Okay. Do you do you feel just putting the root barrier, the circumference of the tree, the outside diameter of the tree, if the limbs go out, 40 feet, do you put it 40 feet, or do you recommend going the whole length of the house? It'll depend on how the the uh, trees are laid out and how the house is laid out. Um, mm. As far as the limbs of the tree, typically the roots will go one-third to one-half further than the drip line of the tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as where the root barrier gets installed, I don't worry about where the, the tree limbs are. Now, I don't want to be on top of the trunk putting it in because you don't want to, you know, weaken it. But, uh, you know, you, you mentioned you've got like 12 feet or more from the house. Right. That's plenty of, that is plenty of room for installing root barriers. Yeah, okay. Do we put it up close to the, as close as we can get it to the, uh, to the uh, foundation? Uh, keep it at least two feet away. Okay. And. And the reason for that is if you ever have to do repairs on the foundation, you want enough room to be able to get in there and do the work without having to cut the root barrier. We're going to head to Webster and Chris. Hi. Welcome. How can I help you? I have a question about um, a crack I found in my foundation. Uh, History of the house, it's 2,000 square feet. I've been in it for 15 years. Before I bought it, I had a structural engineer come out because it was on the market a long time. And it was a fixture-upper. Okay. So he told me the foundation looked good. A plumber put a pipe, a camera down inside the foundation, said everything looked clean. So um, I had the flooring, which, sorry, I had the carpeting in the living room and the, and the downstairs of the house replaced with a luxury vinyl plank that was glued down. Uh-huh. And so I'm now replacing that, that plank with a, a vinyl click together floor so the workman came in and got all the the glued part uh removed and there is a crack down the middle of the living room uh living room is 12 by 26 it's in the the long side the the long direction and it it's about seven feet long and it's not really like i i could probably get a fingernail in it but it's not like super wide is that something i need to have looked at before they install a floor over it i was trying to debate here whether to to give you a hard time or not but i won't (laughs) i'll go ahead (laughs) 
you have absolutely nothing to worry about. Oh, really? All concrete cracks by nature. And so virtually any house that you would go in and pull the floors up like that, you will find cracks in it. But this is a big long. It's seven feet long. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. It, do, it doesn't matter how long they are. And typically they're going to run all the way across the house. Where you got to start worrying about it is if you start seeing cracks in sheetrock, doors that are you know going askew, cracks in brick veneer, or that crack in the floor, if it starts separating where you can put, like, say, two quarters in it, mm-hmm. or it starts stair-stepping where one side's substantially higher than the other side, mm-hmm. then you then you start having something to, to be concerned about. But just concrete cracks like that is, is very normal. Okay. Man, I'm in good shape. Yep. All right. Thank you, sir. Have a Merry Christmas. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, you know, a- a- again... That's why you want to call early. You catch these things, and if it is something that's developing, it can be dealt with typically with maintenance issues. Like if you got a lot of trees around the house that are taking a tremendous amount of moisture out of the soil, that can cause settlement. You then have to do a root shield before the settlement gets so bad. But when we ignore it, the problem's just going to get worse. Mark, this is Jim. How can I help you? Howdy. Um, I am thinking about putting in a, a, a two-story garage, basically. I have a utility trailer and a, 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 a zero-turn lawnmower that I want to park below, and then up on top have a shop up there. Yeah. And I wonder if there's like a ballpark uh, number to use for planning, uh, like a price per square foot or something like that. Now, is, is this the number you need to use to convince your wife to do this or the number that you actually want to spend on? <laughs> No, I'd like to know the real number. My wife doesn't need a lot of convincing. Maybe okay. a not a lot. <laughs> but thanks uh, for asking. <laughs> realistically, it's going to depend on how you want to build it out as far as running the electrical and all that kind of stuff. Uh, for doing just a shop building like that though i'm gonna make the assumption you go you're gonna have a concrete slab is that correct yeah that's probably okay and i'm I'm sure since you're gonna have a shop you're gonna have electric so uh, are you gonna put any water you know it'd be nice but not absolutely necessary okay then for budget purposes depending on if you decide to put water or not I would use something in the neighborhood of 90 to $100 a square foot. Okay. Wow. All right. Thanks a bunch. You know why? That's a lot. <laughs> it is. It is a lot. And you may be able to get get it for a little bit less than that. But the reason I'm I'm telling you to budget that much, by the time you get the dirt work done, permits – you pour the concrete and do the concrete right. Not you know you don't want to go dirt cheapest on that because that's one of those expensive things to fix. I'm making the assumption we're going with like a hardy siding, not going with a masonite type siding. Uh, you could get it done for as little as probably 75 to 80 a square foot, but in in the somewhere between five and ten years, you're going to be redoing siding and things like that. Okay. Well, that's so good I'll, advice then. Yeah. Put 
put a, a few do extra dollars into it now, and you'll have something that'll last you forever then. All right, brother. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Mark, Merry Christmas, and have a happy new year. 214-787-1080. That's 214-787-1080. And, and honestly, when you're building something, that is the biggest thing you have to watch for is what is it cost effective to go cheap on because you can easily replace it later versus something that would be expensive okay siding is something that is actually expensive to do later only because you gotta strip the old siding off then put the new siding on uh, and, and I guess I shouldn't say blanket that way because you could go over the old siding as long as you do it before it starts to deteriorate but if you're building a house and you want to kind of shortcut on a, on a few things to lower your budget, things that you can do later that really aren't going to add more cost than it would cost to do right now, I'm going to use floors as an example, wood floors. If you put carpet in and you want to change it out to wood floors, you know, that's an easy change out. Yes, you got to move the furniture out of the room and and that kind of stuff, but you simply roll up the carpet and you're ready to go with wood floors versus putting them in when the house is brand new. You don't have a lot of repeat stuff you've got to do. Uh, however, ceilings, for an example, if you wanted to uh, have a stomp and drag ceiling and you decided to go less expensive, so you went with popcorn ceilings to start with. Yeah, I know. Nobody wants popcorn ceilings. My wife has told me. Uh, but you can, you put the popcorn ceilings on because it's less expensive than a stomp and drag. Well, you decide later that you want to go ahead and make that conversion. Now you got to scrape all that popcorn ceiling off before you can do the stomp and drag. That adds cost. So you always take a look. What's it going to take to remove what you're doing in order to go to the upper thing? Bare bottom minimum of putting any type of structure up is usually going to be about $75, and that's not going to put you up a great structure. So for most budgeting purposes, if you'll budget $90 to $100, uh, that gives you a, a pretty realistic number. And if you're building a home, it's going to be more than that because then you got to factor in countertops, paint finishes, floorings, all these things that add to the cost. Uh, I did want to talk about one thing today uh, bef before we get going too far, and that's tunneling. You know, I, I've seen several places in the last two weeks where people had broken sewer pipes under their home, and they're needing to replace them, and plumbers are coming in and recommending that they start jackhammering through your slab and basically trench across the house. And I thought this was almost gone, that nobody was doing that anymore. And all of a sudden, I started seeing this pop up again. Do not let somebody cut your slab in two that way. It's one thing to go in and break a hole that's, say, a two-by-two two hole in the concrete. It's another to start trenching across that concrete and basically cutting the house in two. You have steel in the in the concrete. 
whether it's the wire mesh, whether it's the post-tension cables or rebar, that steel is in there to hold the concrete together when it cracks because all concrete's going to crack. When they start trenching to replace pipes that way, they just cut that steel out of their way. That slab becomes unfixable. Do not let anybody cut your slab in two that way. So if you're having an issue with plumbing pipes that have to be replaced, realistically, you are looking at doing tunneling in order to fix it. If it's old cast iron pipes. Now, if it's PVC pipes and it's just an isolated break, you come in, you can jackhammer one spot if you'd like, dig that hole, fix that pipe, and be done with it. But if you're having to replace all the plumbing, you need to look at tunneling. And, and I can't stress that enough. And yes, I know Due West does the tunneling. And quite frankly, I started the tunneling back in like 83 underneath a lady's house who had just put in hardwood floors and needed to repair a leak. And I was not going to jackhammer through her home. Because if you've ever driven down the highway and you see that cloud of dust that you're coming up on and they're out there breaking a piece of the, the highway in order to patch the concrete... That's what we're talking about in your living room. Don't do that. Yes, tunneling is expensive, but it is the best way to deal with these problems. I was walking through a uh, show one time. It, it was a, uh, oh, it's an event called the Strawberry Festival in Pasadena, Texas. And uh, this was probably four years ago. And the lady says, I have my Due West shirt on. She says, oh, Due West, you guys did my foundation 15 years ago. I wish I'd have tunneled. 15 years later, the only thing she remembers is how dusty it is. And there's nothing the contractor is going to be able to do to eliminate all that dust. So please, if you're going to have that kind of work done, make sure you're tunneling. You're going to be much happier with the job that way. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.